Well, good morning, brave family. So good. We're getting better. I'm telling you, I'm proud of you every week. Uh, today, we're in our series, The Jesus I Never Knew. And uh, today, we're in part four of this talk. And I've titled it, Jesus, My Friend. And I want to talk to you about friendship today. So if you have your sermon notes, you can pull those out. If you're watching online, I don't think there's anything available for you as far as notes, but you can certainly be ready to take notes. If you do not have sermon notes in your hand and you want some, lift your hand up. Someone will bring them to you. I see some hands over here. And, um, and let's dive into this together. I believe God has a good word for us this morning. And my hope is that you walk away certainly encouraged uh, by the word of the Lord today. So Jesus, my friend. When it comes to friendship, here's what we all know. Friendship matters. Um, it matters in our life that we have friends. Friends are good. Some friends are bad. Amen. And <laughs> you just, some of you have friends that are bad. Um, you just amen. Sometimes you just amen. So like, amen. What did he say? I don't know. Amen. Um, and the reason friendships matter, and, I, and I've told my kids this, and in youth ministry, uh, I heard it, I don't know, a decade more ago, yeah, longer than that, but I've said this for many, many years to the teenagers when I preach to them, and I would say it like this, and I tell my kids this, you can write this in at the top of your notes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I had a, a coach, a mentor for youth ministry, and she told me that, and uh, it always stuck with me, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So when I talk to my kids, uh, I tell them, I say, show me your friends, and they say, and I will show you your future. So I, I kind of have them repeat it back to me in that way. But you show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And there's truth to that. I believe wholeheartedly that who we hang around shapes the course of our life oftentimes. Just think about some of our, your, your greatest regrets oftentimes are associated with relationships or friendships. Most of your regrets, most of my regrets happen, have to do with the relationships that we were in or people that we were around. Friendships do matter. Scripture says that bad company corrupts good character. So there's a reality that the people we hang around oftentimes can influence how we perform in our lives or how we become and, and, and ideas we get. That's why you like to know who your kids' friends are because you want them to make sure they're hanging around the right friends and not the wrong friends. And so friendships matter because if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And within friendship, I want to give you two sides of friendship. And this is what I really want to dive into today because I want you to see this. Within friendship, there are two sides. Friendship, write this in, is both a privilege and a responsibility. You think about privileges of friendships. Uh, you have someone who will listen to you. You have someone you can hang out with. You have someone that will laugh with you. You have someone uh, to, to just, you know, vacation with or, or whatever it might be, do life with, talk with. We talked about a minute ago, pray with. How awesome was that? And then in a small group, you have people that you can pray with and see God do great things. Uh, someone to confide in. There's privileges to having friendships. And I wrote this down for someone today. You have someone around you who's your friend who wants to buy you lunch today. Amen? <laughs> there is someone that wants to buy you lunch. That's a privilege of friendship. Do you think friends should buy your lunch? <laughs> I think so. Yes or no? Yes? You agree? A real friend should pay for your meal every once in a while. Yes. Okay. Now, at the same time, there's a responsibility to friendship. All right? Let's reverse it now. So responsibility. 
Someone needs for you to listen to them. That's what friendship is. You have to be there to give them your time. That's a responsibility. Maintain their trust when they confide in that. That's a responsibility that you have. Be there for them when their car breaks down or when things go wrong or whatever it may be. So there's a responsibility side. And of course, you need to buy someone lunch today. Yeah, that's what friends do. That, so there's a privilege to friendship, but there's responsibility in friendship. And Jesus unpacks this very well in John 15. I want to show it to you today. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 15, that's where we're going to be today. And, um, and if you have your phone app or whatever you want to use, but John 15 is where we're going to be. And in this passage of scripture, he unpacks a word that the disciples had never heard. Um, they had heard, of course, student. Um, they had heard child in some ways, uh, but never this word. And especially in their culture, it would have been brand new to hear the term friend. And I want to show it to you where Jesus does this in John 15. All right. So here's what it starts off. We'll start with verse 12. John 15 verse 12 says this. Jesus speaks and he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. All right, important words here. The word greater is the word megas or mega. You think about in English, we say the word mega. It's used in this context of the intensity and its degrees. That's important. So when Jesus says greater love is only this and lay down life for one's friends, what's he saying? He is saying, I have loved you to the greatest degree. Now, why can he say that? Why is, why is he able to say that my love for you is shown to the greatest degree? Because he's about to lay down his life for his friends. In other words, which is greater love, buying a meal for someone or dying for someone? Well, of course, it's dying for someone, which is why he can say, I have loved you to the greatest of degrees. I want you to see this. I have loved you with everything because I've paid the greatest price. Someone can buy your meal, someone can do something nice for you, but Jesus said, I have paid the ultimate price. There is no higher price a friend can pay than laying down their life. So he says, greater love is than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, you are my friends. And then he adds, if you do what I command. Now, I want you to know, I didn't put this in your notes, but I want you to write next to that somewhere, false teaching. Okay, write that down. Here's false teaching. Here's what I mean. False teaching is, do what I command, then you can be my friend. Do you see how that could be mistaught? You are my friends if you do what I command. So is he saying, if you do what I command, then we are friends? And the answer is no. So don't allow that to get twisted. Okay? Your, or, your obedience to God has nothing to do with his statement of friendship. So why does he say, if you do what I command? Okay? There are two kinds of if, I-F. Two examples of if I want to give you, and then I will help you understand hopefully what Jesus is saying when he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. 
and this is a very important member, in friendship, there's privileges and responsibility, right? Got to hold that thought throughout this whole talk today. Okay, so two kinds of if. Let's say if you are strong and courageous, that team will want you. If you are strong and courageous, the team will want you. Why do they want you? Because you are strong and courageous, so they want you on their team. Got it? So if you are strong and courageous. Now, if you are weak, they don't want you. And if you're weak and afraid all the time, the team doesn't want you. Do you, do you see the point, what I'm saying to you? Do you see the if? Okay, that's the first example of if. I want to show you. When you use the, con- the word if, the context matters. All right, here's another if example. I'll give it to you. Okay, if your white blood cell count is low, then you're in remission. Do you see the difference? It's okay if you don't. Raise your hand if you don't. I have a feeling you don't see it. It's okay. Some of you are confused because you didn't even know how to raise your hand just now. You're like, well, I don't know. That tells me you're double confused. <laughs> oh, I love you all so much. Um, okay, I'm going to do these examples again. If I say to you, if you are strong and courageous, then the team wants you. Well, what am I saying? The, the fact that you are strong and courageous shows that they, they want you. If your white blood cell count is low, then you're in remission. Do you understand? The if side has to do with what caused it. The reason the white blood cell count is low is because you're in remission. Do you understand? Yes? If the count is low, it shows you are in remission. So the effect is on the count, which confirms that you are in remission. I want you to understand this in the word if here. You can write this in. I put it in a simple statement for you, so I hope you get this one. Doing what Jesus says doesn't earn your friendship. It confirms it. When Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command, he's not saying we're friends based on whether or not you do what I say. What he is saying is, when you do what I say, it confirms our friendship. It confirms it. You don't earn it. But as we obey him, it confirms the friendship. And I will show you why in just a moment. He laid down his life for me. Think about it this way. Therefore, he loves me with the greatest love. And as a result, I am his friend. So I do what he asks. Do you see that? It's the result of the friendship that we do it. Okay, they're connected. Verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I don't have time to teach this, but he's not saying that that, that we're out of serving him. No, we're always called to serve God. But here's what he kind of takes it to a different level. He says, instead, I've called you friends. And the disciples have never heard this before in this culture. 
a rabbi calling a student a friend. He says, you are my friends. For everything I learned, this is so important, from the Father, I have made known to you. Okay, this is a Greek word phileos, or philos, if I'm saying it right. There's a word for love in Greek language, is phileo, and it is one who associates familiarity with or a companion of. Jesus is talking to an inner circle of friends, his small group. And he is saying, you are my companions. You're the people I do life with. I associate with you. And we are familiar with one another. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, when the church is launching, it says they have fellowship with one another. It's a Greek word, koinonia, which is this intimacy with one another. I have preached it from this stage before, and I have told you, your real friends have refrigerator rights. You know your friends when someone can just walk into your house and take something out of your fridge and you don't think they're weird. We have entered into intimacy with one another. Does that make sense? Right. If you cannot walk into your friend's house and grab whatever you want out of the fridge, you're not real friends. You're not deep, intimate friends. Does that make sense? If it feels awkward to do that, and, and you think about that right now, and you're going, well, how many friends do I have? And you're probably thinking, not many. <laughs> That's okay. We're all on the same page, okay? The average person, by the way, I read a survey just to check and see where I was. Uh, the average person, according to some survey done in 2021, I was reading about it, uh, is the average person has around three to five real friends. And, and I was like, well, maybe. Let's be honest. You know, a, a few, right? Real friends. Okay, so when Jesus is talking to his inner circle, this intimacy, this closeness with this group of people, he's saying, I'm calling you friends, we do life, we're familiar with one another, but look what the text says, my father has told me some things, and now I have confided that in you. I've told you that now as well. We've shared in some intimate conversations with one another. Okay, so I want to unpack this familiarity and companionship with Jesus. It's in your notes. Look at it. And I put all the verses there for you. Familiarity and companionship with Jesus. Psalm 25, 14, I'm giving to you in three versions. And each version matters. And I want to show you because I want to build on this. And I want to see why reading different translations help. Okay? All right. So the first one, NLT. If you just read the NLT, it says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him, and he teaches them his covenant. Now, at first glance, if you don't understand that Hebrew word friend, you're going, well, that sounds nice. He's my friend. That sounds great. And he is, but I want you to show you what that means. You read the NIV translation, and it says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Did you see that he makes known to them what his father has told him to him? That means the father tells me, and I'm telling you what the father's telling me, which means you have access to what God is speaking. Okay, so this is, he's confiding something in you. Now remember, with friendship is both privilege and what? Responsibility. So if I'm confiding something in you, I'm expecting you to join in the work. Watch. Look at this next one. The New King James Version says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. This Hebrew word for secret means counsel. You say, well, how do they get to the NLT? How do they get to friendship? Why would they replace that word? It kind of looks different, and it does. But counsel means assembly, a council of familiar conversation, a circle, a group of familiar friends. 
This is how it goes from, well, in different translation, you could see the word secret, you could see the word confide, you could see the word friend. But if you don't study the words properly, you can miss it. Do you see it? Okay. You're like, geez, to study the Bible takes a lot of work. Yeah. What do you think I do all week? Golf. <laughs> Just, I'll figure it out what happens on Sunday, you know? So you got to see the text and what Jesus is saying when he calls them friends. He's talking about a familiarity and intimacy with a companionship with somebody, someone I confide in, someone I talk with. We are friends. That's important because he takes it up a notch. And of course, in the ancient world, in this time period, a slave which is the translation for servant, a slave could be useful and trusted but could never be thought of as a partner, someone who's coming alongside, a partner in this, a companion in this. And some understandings of this, it's like symbolic of marriage. We're working together towards this when Jesus makes this friend statements. It's possible that a slave and a friend might be of similar help, but a friend could be a partner in the work a slave never could. And Jesus calls his inner circle friends. It's like saying, I know you got my back. You know I have yours. I am with you in this. All right, so powerful statement when Jesus makes a statement of friend. I'm gonna show you an example, and it shows there, uh, on your notes, James 2 and Genesis 18, in the life of Abraham. Okay, watch this. In James 2, 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. He's called God's friend. God has called Abraham his friend. He said, that's my friend. All right? You say, well, I would love to be called a friend of God, like where God would say, you are my friend. Watch, how does he enter into friendship? We'll look at Genesis 18. Then the Lord said, now in this conversation, this is where God's gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's gonna destroy a city. And watch what he says to himself, in a sense, where he's, it's okay, by the way, if you're human and you talk to yourself, God does. So I've given myself plenty of permission to do that. Um. But so look what he says about his friend Abraham in Genesis 18. All right, verse 17. Then the Lord said, shall I hide, keep this secret, not confide, not tell him, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then he doesn't. Verse 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed, blessed through him. Verse 19, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing, because they're friends, what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised him. And of course, in the dialogue and in the conversation, that's where Abraham starts to say, well, what if you find 50 people? Will you still destroy it? What if you do this? What if you do this? And there becomes conversation. I want you to understand that God calls Abraham his friend and Abraham saw himself in partnership with God at the same time. There's a companionship, there's familiarity. Key truth, a friend of Jesus comes alongside Jesus to accomplish his work. 
That's why I said to you, there is privilege and responsibility. There's a privilege that comes with being a friend of Jesus, but there's great responsibility that we also have as a friend of Jesus. So I want you to think for a minute, say, well, it sounds so nice that Jesus is my friend or Jesus, my friend or my friend, Jesus. This is, listen, if I just said the title of the message is Jesus is, is my friend, okay, he is friendly to us. The question I want you to start thinking about though is, am I a friend to him? My friend, Jesus. Well, how do I know if I'm a friend of Jesus? Well, you do what he says. See, the doing confirms your friendship. It doesn't earn it, but when you do what he says, it confirms it. I trust my friend. And I do what he says because we're in friendship with one another. We're in intimacy. We're in close proximity with one another. We're in association with one another. We lock arms together. I help accomplish my friend's work. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were w- working in your yard, how many, anybody here got yard work to do today? You just, anybody? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. I'm trying to give you some help right now, okay? No. Think about it. If you're, you're doing yard work and imagine your friend, not, a, not even just a neighbor, a friend, okay, someone you would call a friend, walks by you sweating, okay, and you know they have time, all right? They walk by you, and they stand at your front yard, and they see you laying mulch. They're like, hey, you're doing great. Just, just roll with me on this. You're doing good, man. And they just watch you work. Raise your hand fast if you'd be frustrated. Okay, that's my point. And you would probably go in and say, he, they're not friends. That was rude, right? Now, the flip side, if they joined you in the labor, and they started laying the mulch with you, you probably would you know, lay down at night or have a conversation with your spouse if you're married or something, and you would say, man, they're such a good friend. Why? Because they joined in the work. When Jesus tells his followers, I call you friends, he was saying, there's a privilege here, but there's a responsibility. And many of you are going to have to die for me. And you're going to have to lay your life down for me, and they would, they'd be executed for their friendship with him because greater love, there is no greater love than to lay down a life for the friend. And they're gonna pay the price just as Jesus paid the price. So powerful, powerful teaching when he makes a statement. All right, I wanna give you five ways. We'll go through this fairly fast. Okay, five ways that Jesus demonstrates or he fulfills, I'll say, his responsibility to friendship, okay? All right, John 17, how does Jesus demonstrate his friendship? I am not gonna give you all the ways, I'm just gonna give you five, okay? Five, we could be here forever if I try to tell you all the ways he demonstrates friendship, I'm just highlighting five of them. Okay, John 17, my prayer, Jesus is praying, and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he says, I'm praying for the inner circle, 
But I'm not just praying for the inner circle. I'm praying also for every single person who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. In verse 25, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. Now watch, talk about confiding. I have made you known to them. I have talked to them about you, he says, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself might be in them. Listen, number one, Jesus, my friend, prays for me. I want you to know Jesus prays for you. Did you notice in verse 26 it says, I have made you known to them. Okay, I've talked about you to them and will continue to make you known in order the love you have for me may be in them. I am praying that the love that you have for me, they will know that's how you love them and they will understand that. Let me say it to you this way. Jesus did not die so you could go to heaven. Jesus did not die so you can go to heaven. If you think heaven is the reason Jesus died, you've missed it. Jesus died so you could come to know God. See, selfish thinking is, you mean Jesus didn't die so I can go to heaven and be at my happy place and have all the money and get to have all the body I want and I can do whatever I want and just travel and fly around and flap wings and walk on golden streets? That's what... No, heaven's not about you. Jesus died so you could come to know and be with God for all eternity in his presence and know his love. By the way, that's way greater than, than, than heaven. That's what heaven is. We get so wrapped up. What are we going to have in heaven? What can I do in heaven? That's all selfish thinking a lot of times, you know. Am I going to have a bigger house? Or do I get to play golf all day long in heaven? Or I don't ever have to work in heaven. This is going to be great. It's just, see, it's, it's inward thinking. Jesus died so you could come to know the love of the Father intimately and personally for all eternity and bow down and worship at his feet and know that love. That's heaven. Constant worship, constant praise. Amen? All right. Jesus, by the way, is still praying for you today. I wrote this down. You ever had somebody tell you? Of course you have. Uh, hey, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And then they never do. You get told that so many times. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. And you're like, no, you won't. Jesus prays for you today. Watch this. Romans 8.34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who raised to life. It is at the, he is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. I want you to know Jesus is praying for you today. He is praying for you today. Jesus is always pleading the case before the Father, like a defense lawyer, because Satan is the accuser. 
In other words, Satan is always trying to kind of chime in on all the things. Did you see what he did? Did you see what he did? Did you see what he did? Did you see how he walked? Did you see what he did? Just like he did with Job. Did you see what he did? Did you see how he talked? He's only doing that because you're blessing him with that. He's always trying to bring accusations to heaven's throne against you. Did you see how he talked to his wife? Did you see how he yelled at so-and-so? Did you see how they went there? Did you see what he said last night? Did you see how he treated somebody? Did you see what he said on his phone? Did you see what he's looking up at 2 a.m. at night? Always throwing out accusations. And yet God closes like deaf ears because Jesus says, he's mine. And the sins are remembered no more. He is always interceding for you. It's powerful when you think about it. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world. He goes to the Father, deaf ears. Because of his work on the cross. Jesus prays for you. Number two, Jesus, my friend, remembers I am dust. Amen. Psalm 103, 13 through 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dirt. He does not expect us to be perfect. I put this in, and I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to tell someone today, you battle perfectionism, and it is the stronghold in your life, and you need to let it go. The Father never expects you to be perfect. And before you try to throw out Matthew chapter 5, where he says, be perfect as I am perfect, that is not what he is saying. In the context of Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, be be perfect or be holy as I am holy, be perfect as I am holy, he is not setting a standard of perfection. He is trying to tell the religious leaders in the whole chapter, you got to read the whole thing, he's saying, listen, you are trying to set a standard of the law. So if you want to fulfill the law, try to get into heaven by obeying the law, here's what you basically have to do. Be perfect as I am perfect. See, it changes things when you get context. He's not saying be perfect like a command. He is saying you can't be perfect. And if you want to get to heaven and be righteous in my eyes, you have to be perfect. To which they can't be perfect, which is why he's there teaching them. That's why I've come. He does not ask you to be perfect. He knows you are dirt. So ladies, free him up in this moment. If you're married, just turn to him and say, I know you are dirt. (laughs) Come on, free him right now. Free him up. He's trying to be the best husband he can. All right, he's trying to be a perfect husband. Just tell him, say, you don't have to be perfect. Come on, free them up. Free up your spouses. Free up your friends. Tell somebody around you, you don't have to be perfect. Come on, tell somebody. Get them free. Tell them right now, you don't have to be perfect. Tell them. I see freedom right now breaking out in marriages. I don't have to be perfect. Husbands, if, if you're married, turn to your spouse. I want you to tell her, you don't have to be a perfect mom. Listen to me. Free her right now in Jesus' name. You do not have to be a perfect mom. You will never be a perfect mom. See, listen to me. Satan wants to have a stronghold on many people of perfectionism, but God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You are not perfect because of what you do. You're perfect because of what I did for you. And when you believe that, you come into right standing with God. I made you perfect with the Father. 
on your best day, you are still dirt. Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself today? Doesn't matter how you look, how toned you are, how cut you are at the age of 40, you can look good and nice and tan, got the whole beach body going on, but you still dirt. Amen? And I just freed up all those people who don't have the six-pack abs. You're like, yes, amen. We're all dirt. Here's my point of teaching on friendship. Real friends let you be human. In my rehearsal, I got very emotional. And I called some friends up and I said, thanks for letting me be human. And they're in this room today and I just want you to know, man, it is so refreshing to be around people who just let you be human. Don't play high expectations on your friends. Why? They're dirt too. Amen? The Lord looks at us as we're dirt. He knows we are weak. And he covers our weaknesses by his strength. Amen? He's a good friend. Amen. All right, number three, Jesus, my friend, tells me the truth to heal me, not to harm me. Okay, I got to wrap it up faster. All right, here we go. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Okay. Not all kisses are the greetings of great friends. I just gave a whole bunch of teaching. I'm going to give one more time. Jesus, my friend, tells me the truth to heal me, not harm me. Proverbs 27. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Not all kisses are the greetings of great friends. Just because they friend you, you know, doesn't mean they're great friends. And just because they pat you on the back, doesn't mean they're great friends. Judas kissed Jesus. So they can greet you and have you at their house. That doesn't mean they are your friend. Okay, write this in. A mark of a true friend, fill this in, is the willingness, if you want to know if they're a true friend, here, here's the best I can tell you. The willingness to speak truth in love, even when it wounds us. Remember, though, truth is what God says about you or your situation. True friends speak what is actually true. Not their truth. In other words, if you have a friend, hey, I'm just trying to tell you what's true, bro. You suck. You know, I don't know, you know. <laughs> trying to tell you the truth. That's not truth because that's not what God says about me. I want you to think about testing everything your friend says about you or your friends say about you, and then you decide whether or not they're actually friends. Because when friends come into your life, they're willing to tell you the truth, which is what God says about you, even when it wounds you. In other words, it makes you get uncomfortable. Oh, I don't want to say it. Oh, gosh. I'm uh, Y'all know me. I was like uh, thinking about saying it. Friends don't take you. Well, I'll we'll get to it in a minute. Number four. <laughs> Jesus, my friend, never leaves me. 
Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Listen, we all need reliable friends. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. At some point in every human relationship that you just saw up there, unreliable friends, in every human friendship, there will be disappointment. You've never had a friend. Not you, we're, Humans will let you down. That's just who we are. And you have let your friends down. And you know it, and I know it. Okay. A mark of a true friendship, I have found, is in longevity. Longevity. The people who stay with you through it all. That is why Jesus makes the greatest friend, because he never leaves us. Number five, Jesus, my friend, never tempts me to sin. He leads me away from it. Now, I was going back to what I was going to say about the wounds. Jesus, my friend, never tempts me to sin. He leads me away from it. James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. What leads you into sin is you. You would say, well, Matthew chapter 4 says Satan. Yes, Satan as well. But a big reason why we fall into sin and entrapments of sin is because of the evil desires and our own deceitful hearts, Jeremiah 17, 9. That your heart is deceitful above all else. It's you. And a real friend is not afraid to step up and say, your heart is wicked. Now, how many of you say, well, right now, you just thought, well, that wouldn't be a friend at all. How many of you thought that? When I said that, your heart is wicked. Your heart is so deceitful. No, and let's do it again. Let me change my tone, facial expression. Your heart is so deceitful. It's desperately wicked. No one can understand it. How many would say, well, that's a good friend right there? How many would say, that's not a good friend? Raise your hand. That's, that was mean. How many are confused? You're like, I don't want to pass or fail. I don't know what to do. That's what, your hands go, you're, the only reason why your hands are, are kind of don't know because you're, you're just don't, well, what's the class going to say, you know? Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart is wicked, deceitful above all else. No one can understand it. The point is, a true friend will tell you the truth, and the truth is God's word, even when it wounds you. Your jealousy is going to kill you. It's got to stop. Even when it hurts. Now, you don't beat them up and condemn them, but you speak the truth. And what a lot of times when we hear that from somebody, we say, don't judge me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go look at Corinthians. You can judge those inside the church all you want to. Don't judge outside the church, but you can judge those inside the church, especially when the heart is to bring it back to the Father. Do you give permission for any friend in your life to call you out on your sin? If not, you're a coward. James said, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. 
I got a confession to make. I need healing. Now, you can't keep coming back to that friend over and over again saying the same thing because he's eventually going to go, what's, or she's going to go, we got to work on this. Amen? Does that make sense? These are tough conversations, but that's what real friends do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always give you a way out. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I just want you to see what friends do for one another there. Friends will get you out of temptation. Man, don't go there tonight, bro. Don't hang out over there. Man, don't, don't listen. Don't have the conversation with them right now. You're so mad. Relax. Come back to it tomorrow. What are they trying to do? get you out of that state of anger so you make a a poor decision and take you somewhere else. You got to think about who your real friends are. Your friends, if you're, if you're, I'm just thinking about uh, somebody who's mad. Yeah, bro, let's get a crowbar. Let's get a baseball bat. Let's go. You know, you know, I don't know why that morbid. I know, but I was just like, good. But that's the best example. A real friend would be like, hold hold, hold on. Dude, not now, bro. Because your hate is about to turn into a sin. You need to let it go. You need to stop right now. Do you understand how this works in life? You're depressed. You're sad. Let's go to happy hour. Let's go get drunk. Come on. Drunkenness is a sin. Come on. No, let's not go have a drink. Now, because I think it, it could lead you into thinking independent on something called alcohol. Don't, don't go there. We, we can have a drink at some other point, but not in this state. Let's go to the Lord. You've you got to think about those real friends. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to take communion today. Last, last thought here. Friend shouldn't lead us into sin. They should lead us to the one who died for our sin. Okay, in your envelopes, there's communion elements. And I want to invite us to take communion today. And the reason why is simple. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to the church in Corinth about what Jesus told his friends on the night that he was betrayed. And he said to take of this cup, take of this bread and do this in remembrance of me. Now track me on this. I know you've heard this multiple times when partaking of communion. Do this in remembrance of me. We just talked about it all through Easter. Do this in remembrance of me. Take of the bread. Take of the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. But Paul writes something. We're going to put up on the screen. I want you to put it up for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. It says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. That's what we're going to focus on before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Let me tell you, there's a great misteaching on this passage. And that is that what Paul is doing is trying to keep you from the communion table. Listen, here's my point. Paul is not trying to keep you from the communion table. He's inviting you to it. He is not saying, when you are worthy, come take of the elements. That's what some teach. That's wrong teaching. You will never be worthy enough to drink of this cup. That's true. I'm a friend. And I'm telling you the truth. You will never be worthy of taking of this cup. No one is righteous. All fall short of the glory of God. I'll be your best friend today. You are dirt. 
So when Jesus makes the invitation, when Paul writes, examine yourself, here's what he's saying. Would you just remember a moment who you are before the Lord? Would you just remember a moment what a friend he is to you? When you do that, you're ready. Who is this God who would lavish his love on me and die for me and pay the price for me even when I have unfriended him? Who is this God who prays for me and never leaves me, always by my side, will always tell me the truth about my situation even when I don't want to hear it? He never lies to me. In fact, one of the reasons why we don't go to him so much is because you know he won't lie to you. Come on. He'll tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. But it's always to heal you, not to harm you. I want you to examine your heart. Let's examine our hearts. So I want you to do this. You take out the bread. And as Jesus instituted, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So right now, today... I invite you in this moment, take of the bread. And as we do, Lord, so mindful, we're not worthy. You would call us your friends. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life. then he took the cup and he blessed it he turns to his followers he says do this in remembrance of me I invite you to take of the cup in this moment down front and we always ask you this question it's at the bottom of your sermon notes each and every week it's there what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you what's your next brave step so we have a team down here to pray with you we'd love to pray with you today if you're in need of a friend come if you want to come to know Jesus come forward band begins to play in just a minute let me pray for you Lord thank you for calling us friends would you just examine your heart I want to say this right now publicly Lord examine my heart you just examine your own Thank you.